Most of these movies, halfway through, I think, God, I bet this would smell so bad. They can't find any bleach wipes. <laughs> Nobody can. <laughs> Nobody can! <laughs> it's less I'm trying to make a point than open up a conversation. I think sometimes those are the, the, the kind of the funnest horror experience. I don't know why that is so creepy, but it is. <laughs> Well, things are just going so well around home, we thought we would go back to the happy-go-lucky dark ages for the latest Fright Club with a very special guest that we're very excited about. So welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Fright Club podcast talking about our favorite dark ages horror. We've got uh, not only a special guest, we've got Fuzzy Math. And first off, we want to say thanks again to Gordon Maples, who joined us last time as we talked about college campus horror. That was fun. And he actually does a full... Ivy on Celluloid blog. That's his latest on his site, Misanthropy. Did I pronounce it right? I believe he did. And it's 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 interesting because the latest issue, the latest blog that he does is on Happy Death Day, which is not one of the ones that made our list, but it was one of the ones that kind of talked about tangentially. Yeah. So it was more oh, yeah. kind of a follow-up to the whole podcast. Yeah, so definitely check that out. And Gordon, thank you so much. And we recently did a throwback to one of our, our old Fright Club episodes. And I, I feel like sometimes where you hear these longtime musicians, they go back and visit some of their early songs and they <laughs> and they wince a little bit, you know? It wasn't the subject matter, but we were still finding our not feet. Not quite as polished. Yeah, not quite as polished. I think it was episode 57, maybe? Yeah, it was pretty something early. Like that. It was the best black characters in horror movies. It's an old show, so it's missing a lot of uh, great characters from the last five years or so, so have mercy. But we'd, pr- <laughs> we'd appreciate you if you check it out. One of the things I really noticed in, in going back to that one was how many great women we've seen since that came out. Mm-hmm. So Lupita Nyong'o, who played two in one movie, right? right, both in Us, but then also she did Little Monsters, yeah. which was great. And, of course, Betty Gabriel, but she was also in the Purge films. The Sorry. Purge films, yeah. And so great in Get Out. Yeah, so there's tons of them. Um, well, you know what that means. It just means we have to do another edition. Yeah, we do. Definitely we, do. We really do. One of the things, though, that, that Paul and Monty separately noticed was that in the original list, we have so we have no excuse we forgot Keith David from yeah. The Thing. Childs from The Thing. And we just have to do a mea culpa there yeah. because, yep, that one, that is a mistake. Uh, yeah. Also, <laughs> it's funny. We oh. were young. <laughs> we were young and dumb. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I mean, we have mentioned The Thing in 300 different podcasts. I, I can't believe we forgot. And we love him. Yeah. But the other thing, and uh, and and uh, Omar pointed it out, and I think he pointed it out the first time we aired this podcast, is that he's kind of miffed that Blade, that Wesley Snipes and Blade didn't make the list. Yeah. He is a badass. He is. And I think at the time I was saying that it wasn't really horror, but it's a vampire movie. The second one, there's a lot of carnage. So I think maybe in a fuzzy math universe, Mm -hmm. probably it should have have counted. We got to give Wesley and Blade and Omar some props for that. So thank you. Some great feedback as always on the the old and has a lot of holes in it podcast, but (laughs) only on our end. The the content, the movies we're talking about, fantastic. But I think that's a subject that we should revisit, especially because of what you talk about, all that we've seen in the last few years. Here's what I think. Maybe we'll try to wait for the new Candyman and then we can revisit it. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. I like that. So thanks for all the feedback, as always. And we also have a new poll, don't we? For the next uh, next event, next subject? Yeah, we do. So we put together a poll for the next Fright Club Live. It was neck and neck for a while between eyeballs and uh, cinematography. Um, mm. And part of the reason, I think, is because Nathan accidentally chose eyeballs, and he didn't mean to. So he right away tweeted loudly in all caps, I didn't mean to choose eyeballs. <laughs> no no take backs. That's right. You're in. Uh, you're in. That's right. But 
cinematography wins. So our next Fright Club Live, we're going to talk about the best cinematography in horror. Yeah, the next Fright Club Live is coming up this Wednesday, and we're not quite back in front of the live audience at Gateway Film Center. I think that's coming soon. Yes, uh, hopefully July, but we don't know for sure. Yeah, so it's going to be this Wednesday. It's going to be live on Vimeo and the Gateway Film Center Facebook page. We'll We'll give you all the info on that here toward the end of the podcast. All right, we're going back to the Dark Ages. How'd this, beca- how'd this come about? Was this a result of our special guest? It was, because filmmaker George Popoff is joining us today, and he has two films. He's a new film out right now that you should be definitely watching called The Droving. And he has a film from 2017 that we're very, very big fans of called Hex. So we wanted to, well, direct your attention to both of those movies. And I thought that uh, we'd not, we had done some topics that related very closely to the droving. The droving would have fit well into a couple of other podcasts that we've done in the last few years, but we'd never done one on Dark Ages. And a a little bit of fuzzy math. Mainly, we're focused on films that are set in the 15th century. Mainly. Don't hold me accountable to that if we decide something else gets stuck in here. So (laughs) thematically, I'm telling you, we're the judges and therefore it is accurate. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) But we want to talk about, specifically for the countdown, we're going to talk about Hex, but I definitely want to talk about the droving as well. And just as a piece of interest to i think right now at this minute on our website two of the five articles that have the most traffic belong to george popov actually so it's the reviews of the droving and of hex they are in the five most trafficked posts on our site right now that is awesome well let's bring in our special guest and ask him how many how much of that traffic is responsible for for your family oh hello guys it's great to be here um uh but uh yeah no 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 Uh, i mean I, I don't have that big of a family, so I don't think it's all of them. But, uh, yeah, definitely. Well, we, are, we are really, really honored that you uh, took the time to join us. This is going to be good because, uh, like like Hope said, we're big fans of both of these movies that we're going to talk about, one in the countdown and one that's out now. And well, uh, Thank you very much. Yeah, thank yeah, it's, it's, it's really our pleasure. And it was exciting for us to find out that you actually, you didn't want to just talk about your movies. You're here as a fan as well. Oh, yeah, you know, I'd love to talk about the other ones, if not more so. So uh, there's a, it's a great selection. It's very eclectic. I love that. You know, it's, we have a little bit of everything. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about this. We do. We do. Awesome. All right. We want to anything else you want to get to it. You do have some with each with each movie. You do have some sort of in a sub subcategory underneath. Right. They kind of go along with each one. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, there are so many movies in this sort of area that talk about religion, witches and organized religion and folklore at the time and how they kind of collide in really ugly, often very loud, very, very dirty ways, like just (laughs) filthy. Most of these movies, halfway through, I think, God, I bet this would smell so bad. They can't find any bleach wipes. Nobody can. (laughs) Nobody can! (laughs) So, yeah, there are a couple of other also-rans that I just want to kind of toss around as we as we talk about some of these movies all right cool well let's get at it and we do have fuzzy math so we have six number six to start at and this is uh, this one is from 2010 and it's set during the time of the first outbreak of bubonic plague in england a young monk is given the task of learning the truth about reports of people being brought back to life in a small village it's black death word has reached the bishop of a village that does not suffer as the rest i must see for myself how this village is kept safe this village we're headed to, they've cast God aside. In this place, it's a demon. Is no God. Demons and necromancers are among us. As you will find out soon enough. 
I am death. Vengeance is mine. God's fury rains down on you! Well, this one stars Sean Bean, and he was really the reason. Apparently, this movie was shot in chronological order because he was only available for about five weeks, so he had to get in and get out. But his star power was uh, one of the big reasons this movie was able to raise the funds that it did. So he was he was in quickly, but had a lot of pull in getting this done. It's an interesting, too. It's a change of pace. Uh, Christopher Smith, who we love from Severance, so the filmmaker who made Severance, which was, in fact, our first Fright Club Live. That's a first film Yay. that we showed in Fright Club Live. Quite a change of pace for him. Yeah, it is. <laughs> With this movie. And then the other thing that's interesting about that, what you just said, is that Eddie Redmayne is the other lead in the film, is really actually the lead in the film. And, of course, at the time, he w- he wasn't such a much. People didn't know who Eddie Redmayne was. And, of course, he was going to go on to become just a consistent Oscar contender. And in this one, um, it's really him, who, his character, who has the greatest arc. He starts off as kind of an innocent, but somebody who's very devoted to his religion in terms of sort of goodness as opposed to those around him who are devoted to it in more of a dogmatic kind of a way. And the the movie, when when it what it does really well, I think it looks at there are a lot of films that look at the plague and Christian soldiers and witch hunting and sort of smash it all together. But very few of them are as sympathetic to the Christian soldiers as this one is not it, sympathetic might be the wrong word, but you know it's not Witchfinder General, which I love actually. I love that movie, but I I really like the way I I feel like this film is better able to depict the clashing ideology and where evil really lies than some of the other films that do the same thing: plague, Christian soldiers, witches, or in and another one I saw actually just last year was called The Gollum, which is not a great movie, but it's a very similar construct. Christian soldiers come to a Jewish community because the Jewish community is the only one that has so far been untouched by the plague. And they assume the Christian soldiers assume that it's because of magic, some sort of, you know, sorcery that this religious community and that is a religious community in its in, in a sort of a way in, in black death as well. So they hold them hostage until they can cure somebody beloved by one of the Christian soldiers. So it's got a very similar construct to that. But I just feel like um, Black Death, it's very serious. It's very it, it takes it all very seriously and creates a creepy, effective mood. No, absolutely. I, th- I think Hoppy's spot on on the on the case that uh, it's one of those few films that absolutely try to also portray the the, the Christian side a little bit more complex, mm-hmm. you know, than, than usually goes. It's just uh you know the, the the kind of the super pious bad guys. Uh, I I think everybody's a bad guy in this film in a way. I, I think Black Death like really really well shows that uh, that uh, both sides are able to go to extremes and they have you know their pros and cons and uh, absolutely. Um, Sean Bean and, and Andy Redmayne like really do carry the film quite a lot. But uh, you know the the performances throughout are you know exceptional and and you have a if you're a fan of Game of Thrones you have your Red Lady. Um, <laughs> blonde in this one, but uh, yet again she, um, you know, she put she pulls a great performance in this one. And uh, no, um, I had to watch it maybe maybe twice until I kind of fully understood like how well it actually builds that you know dichotomy between the two sides. Uh, the first time around, I really I thought it was pulling in too many directions, but when I watched it the second time around, it really it does have a great atmosphere. It does take it very seriously. And I think it, it definitely by, you know, by the end, you keep thinking about 
where would I lie in that the situation? Like, what 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 kind of route would I take? And I can definitely understand um, some of the stances that even the villains. So you know, you can if you can call them that way in the film can take. I think Black Death just gets better every time you watch it. It's interesting to me what you point out about the characters who are, in a way, kind of all bad guys, but sort of are not, and really complicated mm. characters. And I think that that is true of both of your films. You're never quite sure, especially in The Droving, but in both of them, where each character sort of is on that spectrum of good versus evil is a little bit muddied for a long time. And, and I think yeah. it helps you, the, the viewer, sort of take the journey with them toward wherever they're going at the end. You're, you're compelled the whole time to sort of figure out where is this guy now and where is he going to end up at the end? And so I'm curious, is that something that you do intentionally or is it just something that you that comes naturally to you as you're building a character? I, I think so. I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that, you know, it's it's a very rare occasion to have purely a good person or a bad person. I think we all good, you know, can do good deeds or bad deeds. And I think that's something that I find definitely interesting with characters in, in my films, but also appreciating something like Black Death, where you can see that, you know, as I said, they're all bad guys. They're not. They're all just human beings that they can very easily get swayed into or make a wrong decision or, or you know, take horrible acts because they believe it's the best thing. And I think that's something that I can say about all my characters as well, that, I mean, I empathize with them even when they're doing stuff that are absolutely horrible because that happens all mm -hmm. the time. It's, it's part of our nature and it, it's just fun to analyze. Sometimes it's scary to see what we find, but yeah. it's definitely, it's important to do. Exactly. Black Death from 2010, number six on our list of Dark Ages Horror. So moving up to number five, this would be the classic on the list, I think. This one back to 1964. A European prince terrorizes the local peasantry while using his castle as a refuge against the Red Death Plague that stalks the land. Vincent Price, Mask of the Red Death. Diamonds, rubies, emeralds, pearls. Lavishly, he plants his corrupting seeds of sin spreading living terror that not even the unsullied can escape. Nor can one who craves all the forbidden pleasures of the depraved. Each man creates his own heaven, his own hell. Let me see your face. It's always fun to have a Roger Corman movie in the list. It's and a Vincent Price. And a Vincent Price. And Poe, as much as Roger Corman actually made Poe, which he didn't really. But uh, this movie is Vincent Price at his just campy best. Uh, it's also got Hazel Court in it, who I love and, of course, has done so many Hammer films. And she was just, she's magnificent in this movie. And um, and you reminded me, I'd completely forgotten. Jane Asher. Yeah, Paul McCartney's ex. Yeah, yeah, way, way back. <laughs> that, actually, at that time, they were together yeah, at that time. Yeah, I think so. And Roger Corman didn't know it and thought he was going to date her. And no, <laughs> you're not. She's dating Paul McCartney. <laughs> I think this was actually named Roger uh, Corman in interviews. He uh, said this one, along with... The Intruder and The Man with the X-Ray Eyes as his personal favorites among his films. All his films. <laughs> well, this is this is better than those other two. Those <laughs> other two. Well, the Intruder's okay. Man, their X-Ray Eyes are not very good. But I love the way they use color in this yes. movie. And that's the thing is that to do justice to this particular Poe story, because every, you know, every page is so color specific in that story. And, uh, and they just do a fantastic job with the color is just glorious. It stands out in this movie. And um, and again, I mean, I for me, I think this might be 
It's in my top three anyway, favorite Vincent Price performances. Oh, yes. Um, Mask of the Red Death, like absolutely fun. I, I think it's it's always good to see Corman care because it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> and I can I can I can definitely see why uh, that's one of his favorites, if not his favorite, because uh-huh. uh, he uh, he has um, a love of Poe that, you know, most of the time it just turns into kind of exploitation of Poe. But I think um, this sort of story is is a good one to 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 become a Cormanesque version because some of the other ones like he doesn't like to translate the 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 depth that come you know often with those stories or to take it in a, a bit more kind of ballsy creepy way, but here I think it's 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 become a per- perfect marriage of of him caring and and the story being able to carry it. If he has like any deficiencies, it probably is it that it's it's becoming a little bit more obvious towards the middle of the film that this is just a short story and it, they're trying to pad it out with some other elements, a subplot that comes from another. Poe short, short story that Orman and the screenwriter decided to to put in. I think it's Hop Toad, uh, which is the little yeah. um, person subplot, uh, which he, he has a very satisfying conclusion, but you can kind of tell that the two things don't have too much in common. But uh, it is very fun, and um, you have to watch it by the, until the end because that's that's when it really comes through, and it, it, it has a great almost um, Twilight Zone-esque, obviously Twilight Zone is more inspired by Poe than the other way around, but um, if you're a fan of both, it is fun, and yes, Vincent Price, oh boy, like he, he chews that old set. He does. Like and this one too, you mentioned the color. There are times here that I thought of the original Suspiria. Yeah, I can definitely see that, because the, the colors are so hyper-vivid. They're so overly saturated in a way that is completely unreal, unrealistic, and intentionally so. And I was trying to think today of of any other Corman films that rely like that, you know, the use of color is as inspired. And I really, honestly, I can't think of one. I think that it's just perfectly matches the story itself. And I just, I agree with you. I think that the fact that it's a short story is good for Corman because it doesn't dig deep into anything in particular. Mm. And I think you're right. I hadn't thought about that before, but that might be why this one works as well as it does, because it doesn't feel like he's giving it short shrift because he he can't. He actually has to pad it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. As George said, all the way to the end. Got to go all the way to the end for sure. Mask of the Red Death from 1964. That's our number five. And moving up to uh, number four on our favorite Dark Ages horror, this is the first film from our guest, uh, George Popov. This was 2017. During the English Civil War, two opposing soldiers find themselves trapped in a forest controlled by a witch, X. Something ungodly lingers here. She found her way into your mind. Into your dreams, didn't she? What can I say about it that I haven't already <laughs> showed in the movie? <laughs> but uh, the only thing I can say that I think I'm allowed to is just to to say like what my experience with the film has been like yeah. since then. Um, which, in a way, I, I haven't rewatched it too many times. Uh, but um, when when I have, I think the stuff that the the ages the best is um, you know what we're trying to do in terms of the theme and, and like where to take the story like after that. And I do think that what I said earlier about Black Death, I hope that applies the same way to hex that um even when i watch it just as a just as a viewer it does it does compel me to to think about and stick with it even more and be like oh you know did i even say everything i meant to 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 say like i think there's a lot more to think and and and, uh, talk about and it's it's a it's a good conversation starter about 
humanity in some ways. It's less I'm trying to make a point than open up a conversation. But um, I think sometimes those are the, the the kind of the funnest horror experience. Well, since we're talking about dark ages, what are the what are the challenges from a production design or lighting sound design uh, angle for a filmmaker to set a film in the dark ages? Well, I, I think it's uh, you have to know from the beginning uh, what kind of style you're going for, obviously as, as a director. So uh, you know, we came up from an example of Mask of the Red Death, where it's it's a very you know, hope as you pointed out, the color. It's a very '60s movie, and they really embraced it. So you can do any style. I think you can do a lot of different stuff, but you just have to embrace it wholly. With Hex, I think with the type of story I was doing, it was important to bring some authenticity in terms of uh, lighting, and and I really wanted to concentrate on atmosphere. I think all my films like really tried to put that on the forefront. I really wanted everybody to really just feel that forest and be kind of submerged into uh, every single aspect of it. So I gave, um, you know, it's the best light source of that we have, which is the sun. And it's during <laughs> yeah. the day, I really relied on that, and I really wanted to see all the different shades of green that you can you can see in that forest. And then at night, I've been a big fan of a black space in the frame. And I, I love how much, you know, everything that you see that's coming out of the darkness, a very kind of, you know, almost Rembrandt-esque or Caravaggio lighting where, where you have characters with torches and being submerged in the darkness of the night. You know, um, I wanted to concentrate on that. So all the lighting, almost all of it is is natural it's either fire or, mm. or sun or anything and all the all the other lights that we use all the film lights just try to be very careful and just simulate the same same lighting um so yeah and then the same thing just applies to art direction as well it was one of the things i think uh, the natural light use of natural light as you're saying is one of the things uh, that seemed to me to give the movie a sense of authenticity which i think can be really difficult when you are filming something that is supposed to have taken place such a long time ago, you know, and, and it reminiscent of like Hagazusa. It's like, you just believe it. Oh, yep. That's where I am. I'm not, I'm not in 2017 watching movie. I'm, I'm in this super creepy forest where anything could happen. And I thought that that was really impressive. And then when I, when I got the chance to see the droving as well, you have such a tremendous instinct, I think for visual storytelling, for letting the, the set itself tell a massive part of the story. And I think that that is really uncommon in filmmakers, especially American filmmakers, who are very wedded to telling you with words what's happening and not paying enough attention to sort of the environment that the characters are, are in. Again, I'm curious, is that something that you set about doing or is it just a something that comes naturally? Oh, well, well, thank you very much. I think it's because the visuals are yet another part of the atmosphere. And I really want people to feel like, the, you know, the, the, the every film that I make of its own has its own world rather than it's just a representation of a world that just existed or, you know, we're going to, yes, you know, we're, to, it's, you know, in 17th century England. And, you know, as I said, authenticity is important, but at the same time, at the same time, it isn't, it's still, it's still just a movie and that world starts at minute one and it finishes at minute 90, you know, and it's the same thing with the droving. Um, so to establish a more specific atmosphere, I'm just trying to use all the tools that I have in the toolbox and it starts with visuals and then it continues with sound and soundtrack and everything and, and the color correction and, you know, everything that we can use that I can do to submerge people in that atmosphere and how much is that related to the characters and the story. And what they're going through as well. I'm trying to mimic in a certain way part of the um, internal struggles that they may, might be going through as well. And that can come through sometimes color or visuals. So, yeah, it is it is important. I'm trying to think of all the different aspects. But uh, I think sometimes my great, you know, visuals look even better if you have like the, the right sound. 
Yes. And I yeah. think something sounds better just because it looks really good. So yes. I think it's um. So I cheat a little bit just by doing everything at the same time and and uh, try to uh, really push it forward in, in a way that um by the end of a of a shot or a scene you feel like you've been a special different place. Let's take a detour then from the Dark Ages for a minute and talk more about your current film, The Droving, which we highly recommend. By the way, this one is set in more present day around a festival that we had not heard of before called the droving so what is that exactly well uh thank you i mean like the 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 droving is i don't think too many people have heard about it like uh before our movie and i'm really glad that uh, we've kind of made a a little bit of an advertisement for it the actual vessel that's the real one's called the winter droving it takes place in cumbria which is in the 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 lake district in northern england Mm. And um, it's a festival that, you know, has its traditions in, uh, you know, back in the day where people used to carry uh, to transport livestock through the town and merchants will buy it and sell it. And because it's some sort of a, a the harvest festival version with livestock, people celebrate for making a little bit of money and everything. And then later on uh, that in modern days, that's has turned into something that people celebrate in a bit more creepy way by putting on masks <laughs> and torches and, you know, that's all that one kind of, my- of stuff. That's one of my favorite things in movies, by the way. People wearing animal masks. So as soon as I saw that, I'm like, yes. It's actually one of his favorite things in life as well. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I'm not going to ask too many questions. But, uh, yeah, that, that's, you know, maybe you should join the clan that's in the film. Like, they'll, 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 they'll... No, it is, it is very fun. And I think me and Jonathan knew about this festival because like, we, we've spent some time in that area just kind of when we were celebrating the release of Hex and everything. And we saw one of those festivals. And I, I thought at the time, we'll, you know, with a very kind of simplistic idea of like, oh, it'll be kind of cool if you set a thriller around this thing. You know, it's kind of kind of works. Uh, and then that turned into something way more important. We actually had something to say. And then we developed a whole kind of semi made up uh, kind of folklore myth around the real winter droving festival. And then we made it into something quite more sinister and dark, which is the the, the droving festival in the world of our film. So uh, it's inspired by real life. It's helped to come to life with the real one. But, uh, yeah, the world of this one is um, hopefully way more mysterious. And when you say Jonathan, you mean Jonathan Russell, who has co-written both of your films with you. Yes. What I love visually, again, about this movie, so you've got all of the kind of natural wonder. You really explore that in the same way that you did in the first film. Is that There's hiking trails and there's these creepy caves and there's all this really great stuff. But you also have these lovely discordant images of the street festival that, that's like off hours. And there's something just so creepy about seeing that, about seeing like a big Ferris wheel and, and all these other sort of children's rides in the dark when they're not, there's nobody there. There's nobody using them. I don't know why that is so creepy, but it is. <laughs> and, the, and then, uh, you know, this empty street and this man walking by himself. It's such a great image. The whole movie looks great, but it's the second time in both films, your lead, uh, Daniel Oldroyd, he does such a great job in both films of anchoring the movie in a way that is... Very serious, like he's very serious, and he's quite sure in both films that he's got the moral high ground, but you as a viewer are not. And I think that that would be a very difficult feat for an actor to be able to kind of do both of those things at the same time. Definitely. And I also, I've not seen him in nearly enough other things. Uh, where did you find him? Well, it, it was it was through actually the other recurring favorite of mine, which, which is uh, Susie Francis Garten, sure. who plays the witch in Hex. And uh, she's back in the droving as well. And uh, she knew Dan uh, and because uh, when I was casting for a different project that uh, we kind of ended up delaying and, and kind of postponing for a while. And um, initially when she suggested me, like, I wasn't sure about it. I was like, oh, this guy, you know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> sure. There's something about him. 
but I think by this point, like everybody, everybody was casting him in exactly kind of roles and and, and bits that um, basically what he is like a really nice guy, a very gentle soul, and everything. And uh, when it came around for Hexen, by this point, I knew I kind of learned that he's a, he's a really great actor, and uh, he was a great one to to kind of like be friends with at that point. So I was thinking, well, I'm gonna do the opposite. I I don't I don't like to cast for what people see on the poster. I mean, like I'm one of those directors, and I'm sure some other directors do it that way, which is like I I like to cast for where my character is gonna end up, not not for who they are, what what their mask is. And because both me and Jonathan really love those kind of multi-layered ca- characters that have a lot of mass, and and it turned out that uh, they're quite convicted in something. It seems that like a lot of that is maybe rotten to its core. I want to see where that person's going to end up. That kind of, you know, who is uh, who is there. And I knew that with Hex, that Dan will be able to portray that of where Richard's going to end up being by the end. And then we kind of took that even further with the drubbing. Now that I've worked with him a little bit, we played, you know, a little bit. We've danced together. And I knew that uh, what we can do. So I was like, okay, let's push that even further. Even though when me and Jonathan were writing the, the droving we're not like writing with casting in mind because I think sometimes that can be harmful towards you're putting artificial kind of barriers in front of you. So I wasn't necessarily thinking of Dan, but like when we finished it, I said, okay, this seems like a natural kind of uh, progression from where we ended up with Hex. But we kind of looked at each other and went, uh, this this role is like unactable. This is really complicated. It is. Marcin <laughs> in, in the drawing is like really complicated. So uh, yeah. He said yes without knowing what he's gonna get himself into. <laughs> um, but he he did a stellar job, and, and uh, it, it's it's uh, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. Well, we again we highly recommend uh, George's latest film, The Droving, and back to Hex, which was number four on uh, George's first film, number four on our list of Dark Ages horror. So let's move it up to number three from 1992. This is a man accidentally transported to 1300 A.D where he must battle an army of the dead and retrieve the Necronomicon so he can return home. Of course, it's Army of Darkness. In an age of darkness. May God have mercy upon your souls. Something's wrong. Something's amiss. At a time of evil. You shall die! When the world needed a hero. The swallow our souls! I don't want to die! What it got was him. Groovy. You know your shoelace is untied. He's a 20th century guy. For that arrogance, I shall see you dead. Trapped in the Middle Ages. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. This is my boomstick. Now, let's talk about how I get back home. Army of Darkness. George is not a fan. It's all right. (laughs) No, 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 no. no. Give me some sugar, baby. This George. This George, my George, is not a fan. Oh, all right, sorry. I thought I thought it was. I thought it was me. I was like, no. no. I like it fine. I just don't like it nearly as much as Hope does. No, and I think you do like it. I think you like Army of Darkness better than you like Sam Raimi's first two Evil Dead films. That is correct. Yes. Yeah, because it does still have that sort of Three Stooges esque kind of comedy about it, but it's uh, it's much 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 broader. There's so many more really hilarious characters in it, and um, Bruce Campbell is he got rid of the unibrow and he got super buff, and he is so hot in this movie. <laughs> so that's why it's my favorite of the three. But I think we had to do something 
silly for this at some point because all of the other movies are so incredibly very okay. serious about what they're doing. And this, of course, is not. And it's very it's really sort of a, a, what is a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court kind of a spin in what's happening here. And it just has so many iconic lines and it's just a really fun movie. Well, what, what I love about this is when it was released in Japan, the title was Captain Supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That. Okay, that's that's very inventive. Am that's I right? what it ends up being by the end. That's like the the ending is it pretty much he becomes Captain Supermarket. He does. Yeah. yeah. Shop smart, shop as smart. <laughs> Am I right though? You'd not yes. seen this film. Uh, I saw it I saw it now. I saw it like yesterday. Right, so, but, but prior to uh, this. I, I, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I have to apologize to all to all horror fans listening to this, thinking that I'm a complete idiot because I am. Uh, like Sam Raimi's been always a big gap for me. Like I always knew that I'm gonna like his films, and that's why I keep like putting it off because it was such a cult thing. I'm like, oh, I I know so much of it. I'm like seeing all of like you know The Evil Dead by like other people's quotes and and clips, and it's like, oh, I don't want to get disappointed by actually watching it. <laughs> um, but no, I watched Army of Darkness and I watched Evil Dead Two in preparation for that. I do have to say I did, I think, enjoy Evil Dead 2 a little bit more, maybe just as, as a first time watching both, just because like I, I thought it was really funny, but I thought it was a bit less silly. Mm, um, yeah, definitely. My personal opinion. But oh boy, is it fun and is it quotable? Like, absolutely. Yes. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm using half of those like lines already and I haven't <laughs> even seen it. So. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. So um, it is it is a groovy movie. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny. I mean, there, there, yeah, there are countless ways to to look at this movie, and obviously to quote it, and 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 Bruce Campbell. It's hard not to talk about him, but it's funny to me. This is one of M. Beth David's first films. You know, she's gone on to be such an incredibly well respected, and she's really not. She did the movie Hole, but other than that, she's really not done horror again. She doesn't do much comedy either. She's just a very respected character actor who's done a lot of dramatic movies with a lot of Oscar winners. And then you just and I always forget it's her. I'm like, oh, my God, that's right. There she is. And she's she's hysterical in this movie. I mean, she's oh, you yes, know. what a fun role to play as well. Like doing that, like double. So she's so she's so different at the beginning. She just looks like the medieval extra. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, on set. And then and then after that, it's just uh, go full blown crazy. So Army of Darkness. The classic. That's uh, number three on our list of Dark Ages horror. And number two, this is one from just, well, no, two years ago now. It's a medieval warrior's gruesome collection of heads, and it's missing only one, the monster that killed his daughter years ago. This is the Headhunter. I always thought I could protect her. What took her from me is still out there. First thing that jumps out to me about this movie is how few words are in it. I mean, it's almost like, what, one page of dialogue or something in this whole movie. It's so visual. This film, we got to see for the first time at Nightmares Film Festival. It won Best Cinematography, and for good reason. Yeah, It's just an astonishing film to watch because it takes you a, a minute, I think, to realize that you really do have to be paying attention to all the sounds you hear and all the stuff that's in this guy's house and, and you know, what's up and what's going on. You You know, none of it is sort of filler, even if early on, because you're kind of trained to expect a lot of dialogue, you might misperceive that it is filler. I think it's a 
just a brilliant execution on this film. And it is a horror movie. When it gets gory, it gets gory. And there are monsters. It's a monster movie. And that's always fun because we don't get to see enough of those. And also the filmmaker is from Ohio, <laughs> which we love. Jordan Downey, I mean, I think he's from Newark, Ohio. And the other thing that I think is fascinating that he made this movie, I think you can tell a couple of times in The Monsters, maybe, could give you a glimpse into his, his earlier most well-known work, Thanksgiving. Right. <laughs> the very trauma-esque Thanksgiving. You would you go, wait, what? Then he went on to make this almost silent film. And, and the, the there's only one performance, really. I was going to say the lead performance. The performance um, in the mm. film, Christopher Reich, was just spectacular. I mean, I again, I don't know, having never acted ever in my entire life, I can't imagine what it would be like to have to shoulder that responsibility of keeping an audience's interest for 90 minutes when you have maybe five lines to deliver. Yeah, I just thought it was very impressive. What did you think, George? Absolutely. I, I really I really like The Headhunter. Uh, what can I say? I mean, first of all, uh, Jordan Downey. I mean, I, I really applaud it. What I was talking earlier about atmosphere, he absolutely accomplishes it. I think it's good It's good for everybody to know that... that um, I mean, first of all, I, and I love that genre. I mean, I am I'm a sucker for like horror fantasy, and I, I love I love all, uh, that that sort of uh, grounded medieval sort of fantasy that he does, and it's a uh, that sort of minimalistic one man show that goes for it. And as far as you know, that uh, I think some people might get disappointed by the fact that um, you know you don't really see the, the the monster fights that happen throughout the most of the film, but you have to know that that's not what it's trying to do. And right. I think quite early you might see uh, that that's not what it's trying to do. And I, I thought it was the way that it didn't show, it was quite clever. I mean, it wasn't like in the first Godzilla that you're just about to see the fight and he closes the doors on you, you know, <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, that was cheap. Yeah. Um, and this, <laughs> so, so, well, th- this, this film's literally cheap, but it's not cheap in terms of what it's trying to do, which right. I thought it was, you know, a, a great way because it's all about the character. It's all about like how, what he does. And he's not necessarily like, you don't learn too much about him. He's not necessarily like a super deep character in terms of a lot of, you don't know what he's going through. It's a simple task that he needs to accomplish, but it really puts you in his shoes. It's so easy for you to imagine you you doing what he's doing. And uh, I love what you mentioned, Hope, about like how you need to pay attention because there's was just a few little storytelling elements in a very kind of like sparse story that were uh, doing the Chekhov's gun so, so efficiently that uh, you just might pay attention to just a little detail that in any other movie will be a cutaway, you know, mm-hmm. a little, little droplet or a little little spider that's dead right. or something creaking. And all of the this comes back to for a payoff. And um, I, I think it's a very smart film. And I, I was I was surprised to see that. Uh, I mean, nothing against all type of movies, but when I saw like Jordan Down is like, you know, previous ones, I'm like, oh, really? Like, like something that's called. What, what, what was it? You know, thanks uh, killing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I wasn't expecting that. Like I yeah. I put it. It was something that to me it, it was it was uh, reaching quite higher in terms of filmmaking. It's it's great. And it's great that maybe betraying his Ohio roots, he apparently got all the props or a lot of the props from a spirit Halloween store on the day after Halloween, so they were cheaper. <laughs> Good call. And, and then, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, and, and just to see in terms of props and art direction, so much care went into all these all these monsters. Yeah. And, and, and whoever was the artist and the armor, all of these things looked badass. I thought it just I just came out of Skyrim or something. It was, uh, yeah. yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, very true. The Headhunter, number two on our list of Dark Ages Horror, taking us up to the top, and this is one from also 2017. Uh, this one discusses paranoia and superstition in 15th century Europe. Man, we loved this movie. Hagazuza. Came I from 
I think you saw this before I did, right? And then when I finally got to see it, it it just mesmerized me. It really did. What a atmospheric movie. And then it, drawing you into the statement on, sort of like it reminded me of The, the Witch, uh, which is statement on superstition and misogyny and the f- basically fear of women and what this woman goes through and then what it leads to at the end, which I thought was beautiful, uh, beautifully uh, realized toward the end. I, I absolutely love this movie. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was, uh, it's it's just hypnotic. It's like a poem. That's what I felt like the whole time mm. that I was watching mm. a poem. And it's it's the the filmmaker, Lucas Fiegelfeld. I hope I had, I think that's right. Pronunciation. I think you're pretty close. That's yeah. um, his first film. That's crazy to me. That's insane yeah. to me. The command that he has of just the cinematic elements in this movie, I think that it's just absolutely stunning. George, early you said that you're still wrapping your head around it. What are mm. what are your th- thoughts I on am. this movie? Well, I, I think it's uh, one thing that I will agree with that he, is that he comes with like extreme maturity at it. Like I, I definitely also cannot believe that this is the the his first film. I yeah, mean, uh, you know, you you look at Hex and I'm like, yeah, that's my first movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, but uh, you know, with this one. I, I think if you're going with an experience that you're watching more of a Lars von Trier film mm, yeah, uh, rather yeah. than an Army of Darkness, I think you'll be closer to the to the experience that you want to be getting out of it. I think, and that's that's the way that how I feel about him. That like I, I watch a film and I go like I don't know how to feel about this, and then two weeks later is one of my favorites ever. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is closer to that sort of experience. I mean, there is definitely like little moments like in 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 Hex, for example, that I've, I've been inspired by that sort of art house filmmaking. And I, uh, you know, tried to push a little bit, but maybe I didn't have enough balls to go as far as uh, Hagazusa <laughs> did. But oh boy, like well, what it's trying to do, it does accomplish it. You know, if if you know you're going in as for as you said as an experience, that you're gonna get yourself submerged uh, mm-hmm. into a feeling and maybe take some mushrooms along the way. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think you have the the most out of it. Um, if 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 you're waiting for like a quite a complex story, I think that's it's not for that time. But if you really wanna submerge yourself into a very a dreary in the best way sort of um experience and, and really feel what the the character's going through and and um kind of the nastiness of horror in a in a very creepy and, and natural natural way um yeah it's 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 very effective yeah and definitely one that will like like you alluded to have you thinking about it and coming back to it days later it just kind of stays with you i think it's uncommon to see a film so uncommon. You just don't see film. It doesn't follow, you know, any of the structural sort of formatting that you're used to. It doesn't follow the narrative path, certainly not the one that you might be expecting to see. And it's interesting, though, in the in the, the you know, the opening act when Albrin's little, the film is just breaks your heart as yeah. you see what the world does to her once she's an adult, because as a little girl, she's very strong and spunky. And you're like, she's going to be fine. No, she's not. (laughs) No, absolutely. It's, it's a, it's, there are some points that reminds me some of, I said Von Trier, but there's like moments of antichrist that really kind of, uh, Mm -hmm. I felt that sort of like, you know, uh, birth and death cycle. There, there's a lot there to talk about. Mm So, um, Freud will have a field day. <laughs> yeah. Antichrist is one of our favorites. We go back to that one a lot. And I'd not thought of it before, mm. but I agree with you that there is there's something very Von Trier, I think, about a lot of the way this film is set up. Maybe a little bit lynched too, not as 
self-reflectively quirky. Weird, yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. But, not, not as quirky is the no, right word, yeah. No. There's another film from, I think, 2017 called November that I kind of wanted to put on this list somewhere. And it, it's probably not fair to really compare it to Hagazuzo, but it's a very magical feeling. It creates a very magical feeling. And it's got a lot of the similar themes a little bit, except maybe it's, well, it's certainly, it's a bit more upbeat. But it, it does have that kind of feeling of cinematic poetry about it. And, it, and it's another... Really, and I, I don't think anybody in the world saw it, so it's a really... And Dieter Laser is in it. Oh. And he kind of wears an Elvis suit, sort of. Anyway, off topic. I'm in. <laughs> but <laughs> it's worth checking out. People should find it. Dieter uh, Laser from yeah. the Human Centipede. Yes. That crazy guy. So Hagazuza, number one on our Dark Ages horror list. That one from 2017. Seek it out. And definitely seek out The Droving, the latest film from our special guest, writer-director George Popov. So do you have your next uh, project lined up yet? What are you working on? What are you looking at? There's a few, uh, more or less, co- you know, completed. Uh, but uh, there, there's one that me and Jonathan there have kind of like feel really, really good about that's, uh, you know, probably will be our next, which is kind of our darker, more realistic rendition on uh, the Beauty of the Beast fairy tale. Um, so, yeah, we we, we want to take it back to its dark, more effed up roots um, <laughs> where it came from. But uh, I have a huge reverence also for just like the Disney movie. So, like, if you if you enjoy this as a kid, but now you enjoy stuff like Game of Thrones, I think this one's for you. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, we'll try to, again, and incorporate characters that are complex and take them on their journeys and, and, and see. And it's, uh, it's uh, something in between of a dark fantasy meets a little bit of a, I don't know, Tennessee Williams in a castle where you have uh, our two characters shouting at each other forever. I'm in. So, uh, yeah. You know what else I'm hearing in that description? I'm hearing more animal masks. (laughs) (laughs) You're hoping. Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Oh, that is fantastic. Well, we cannot thank you enough. This was a blast, not only for coming on and giving us some insight into your work, but commenting on all these other movies. We can't thank you enough. It's so much fun. Yeah. Thank you very no, much. no, thank you very much. I can't thank you enough. As I said, I don't uh, usually get to do t- t- you know too many podcasts that I'm not just like rambling on about my own stuff. It's great to come in as a fan as well and just uh, talk about all the movies that are inspiring to me and uh, in congratulations to all these filmmakers. Some of them don't need them, obviously. <laughs> uh, you know, some of them are quite established, but everybody else, uh, yeah, great stuff. And uh, yeah, well, we'll try to. Uh, Fight the good fight for good, uh, good, good genre stuff. Fantastic. Well, we already said that cinematography won our poll, right? So that's yes. going to be our next podcast subject. It is Wednesday. That's going to be June seventeenth. We are going to do our Fright Club live. We're still not back in the theater, but we are going to do it a live event. You can find it on Vimeo and also on Gateway Film Center's Facebook page. They're going to simulcast it. Yeah, yeah. We've got the event, and you can find that link if you want to do Vimeo. Or, or just follow along. It's the, the Gateway Film Center's Facebook page, not ours. Although, like uh, like Hope said, you can find the event there. So it should be fun as we're going to talk about the best cinematography in horror. And, man, there's a lot to chew on there. There really is. There is a lot. So we're looking forward to not only talking about our picks, but the beautiful thing about it is when you when you join in, you can... Join, you can join the conversation right. with some great comments. Right. Um, so we're looking forward to that as well. Some fantastic cinematography and horror that is coming up on Wednesday. So we look forward to that. Look forward to hearing from you. In the meantime, uh, let us know what you thought about this list. Anything we missed? 
Uh, anything we should know about? Always fun to keep the conversation going. You can find us on Twitter. We're at Fright Club Pod. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website is madwolf.com. George, where can we find you on social media and websites and everything? Oh, uh, yeah, the best one will be um, if you go on Twitter, you can find at Rubicon Films UK. Also, our website is uh, rubiconfilms.co.uk. You can find everything there. Um, you can find us also on Instagram. Uh, at rubicon underscore films underscore uk uh i'm also somewhere there as well on uh you know twitter and uh, instagram at uh, at uh, d george popov so yeah we, we we post like daily stuff and everyone so if you want to come in and see stuff about hex and the droving and uh maybe other places where i've said things that are maybe not incredibly interesting please uh yeah <laughs> follow so yeah Fantastic. Well, thank you for hanging out in the dark ages with us. Uh, Keep in touch if you can. Until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friend. Yay! Thank you so much. Oh, you're the best. Thank you. That was great. Yay!